Today's video is all about whether you should use a shared ownership scheme to buy your first property. A big question I'm getting from many different people because this is a very, on the face of it, a very effective way of getting in and buying that first property more quickly or in situations where you simply cannot do it any other way. So guys, if you're thinking about uh, getting into property through a shared ownership scheme or you're just thinking about buying your first property, this video is definitely for you. We're gonna talk about what a shared ownership scheme is, the practicalities of it, what it looks like, eligibility requirements, can you actually do it based on your situation? We're gonna look at the pros and cons of using it. And then lastly, I'm gonna give you my thoughts on whether it is a good idea to be using it. So, if that sounds good, then stay watching. Hi, my name is James Corsier and welcome to the Money Paradox Podcast. Yes, we're going through the Shared Ownership Scheme, a very popular scheme. Many, many people have been using this since it's come about and it is still around so you guys can still use it if you want to. So, firstly, question is, what is it? Well, the point of a Shared Ownership Scheme is something the government set up to make buying your first property more easy, okay? So if you're in a situation where you don't have enough deposit or you don't have enough income to support the kind of mortgage you need to buy, the property that you want, or just to be able to buy any property to be able to get on that property ladder, shared ownership scheme is built to do that, okay? So that's the idea. The way it works is instead of buying the whole property, you buy a percentage of it. So for example, you would buy 25% of that property and you'd buy it off a housing association. And that housing association is facilitating that, that deal. So who owns that other 75%? It is the housing association, right? So by doing that, you need to put less deposit in. You don't need to get as big a mortgage. And so by doing that, you need less deposit and less income to support purchasing that property. On the percentage that you don't own, the housing association will charge you what they call affordable rent, okay? So effectively, your owner part of it, okay, and you've got all of the kind of common responsibilities around owning it on that portion, and on the portion that you don't own, you're paying rent to the housing association for that. And it's called affordable rent because they make sure, they're asked by the government to make sure that rent is reasonable. It's low rent, it's not a very high rent, right? So you're not stuck in a situation where you own a portion but paying crazy rents on that other aspect. Originally when it was set up, it was set up for new properties, okay? So the, one of the main reasons for that is that the government were trying to encourage at the time more properties to be built in the UK because there was a shortage of supply. And this is, this is a recurring issue in the UK. Consistently, year after year, less properties are built than more properties are needed in the UK. And that is one of the reasons why house prices go up, not every year, but many years, in fact, probably most years, house prices in the UK go up because over time, demand outstrips supply and therefore uh, the 
pushing prices go up from that result. So the government in part try to help this, try to encourage more houses being built by encouraging house builders to build more because by doing it, they will be able to take advantage of this scheme and sell properties to people that wouldn't normally be able to buy them. It's effectively, in a way, subsidizing property builders. And it's been very effective. A lot of properties have been built because of this scheme. Last couple of things I'll say is one, it's a leasehold. So if you're buying that property, that housing association you're buying it off, okay, they need to facilitate that because they're gonna own a portion of it. They need to manage that property and make sure everything's being dealt with correctly because they have a stake in that property as well. And by the very nature of it, it is a leasehold property that you buy, it has to be. And as a result of that, that means there are many restrictions around what you can do with that property, right? So if you're in a house, often most houses are freeholds. You have the full control over what you can do. If you wanna do renovation works to the property, if you wanna change the roof, whatever, you know, you can do that. As long as you follow the rules, you know, by government, by the council, you can do what you want on that property. With a leasehold, you can't. It's much more restricted. There's certain rules that you've agreed between yourself and the housing association. We'll go on to that in more detail later. And the last thing is, this is a UK-wide scheme, okay? It's offered in Scotland, Wales, uh, I believe Ireland, and uh, the England and England, right? There might be slight nuances around what it looks like in each of those areas, but it is UK-wide. So the next question we're looking at is, are you eligible? So it goes back to that original point I was saying, which is the idea of the scheme, it was set up by the government to help people buy that first property, to get onto the ladder. So by its very nature, okay, they wanna make sure that people using this scheme are those that actually need it. So if you're sitting there, millionaire, you know, earning a huge amount of money each year, then you probably don't need to use this scheme. And if you are, then you're doing it because it's just a benefit to you, okay? So the way they deal with that is they say, you can only use this scheme, firstly, if you don't own any properties, okay? So this needs to be your only property that you're buying. Now, if you've bought a property in the past, that's okay but only if you're not a homeowner. So you're not living in a home you're earning, owning and you can't afford to own your home outright, okay? So you really do need to actually be in a situation where you need to use this, not just, you know, it's a nice to have to make a bit more money. Second one is around how much you earn. So if you earn less than 80,000 pounds, you're in luck you can use this scheme, okay? So it needs to be an income below 80K. It's a little bit higher if you live in London because the properties are so much uh, more expensive and the amount of income people make is more. So if you earn less than 90,000, but you live in London, you can still use the scheme, okay? Other point is that there are some other shared ownership schemes out there to encourage certain populations within the UK the government are trying to help people get onto the ladder still. There are, area, there, there are certain sections of the population that have struggled for other reasons, right? And they want to help those people out. So if you're in one of these areas, I'm not going to go into detail now because it's probably not the 
majority of the people watching my videos. I'm just gonna let you know they're out there and you can go do some more research if that is something you think you fall into. First one, older people stamp, uh, shared ownership schemes. This is anyone above 55. So if you're above 55, go check out that. See if there's any specific rules or uh, uh, more offerings around that. Secondly, long-term disability shared ownership scheme. Right. So for people who have disabilities, it can be a real uh, issue for some people because making uh, income can be difficult, especially reliable income, long-term income, maybe higher income than others is, is difficult. So that is helping people get on to the property ladder that way. And then lastly, the local authority social buy scheme. So effectively, it's the shared ownership scheme. But if you're buying a property that you've been provided from the local authority, because you've not been able to afford rent or uh, your, your situation's been difficult. This has been around a long time in different forms, but effectively the idea is the government are trying to encourage you to go from a situation where you were struggling and the government were having to try and help you out by providing affordable housing to you. And they're taking you from that situation to a situation where you are financially strong, comfortable, healthy, and in a way, in a place where you're able to buy and own your own home. So they do that in two ways. One, they'll give you a certain discount on the value of that home that you're living in from the government to make it easier for you to do it and incentivize you to do it. And then secondly, they, they can offer a shared ownership kind of scheme or approach around that so you're not needing to buy the full amount up front and thereby getting onto that process much earlier and then building up to owning the full amount over time. Okay, so that's eligibility. Before we jump on to the next bits around the practicalities, guys, if you've been enjoying this video, please do like it, subscribe, so you can check out my further content. I bring out content each week on topics all around financial freedom, personal finance, getting you into a stronger financial position. If you know of others that, are, that you think would benefit from this video, I've been talking about it, other videos that I'm producing, please do share it. That would be a huge help. All right, on to the juicy stuff. So practicalities, how does this actually work? Well, what you do is you're effectively buying a portion of the property. So let's say you've got a property that's worth 100,000 pounds, okay? Instead of buying a whole 400 grand, you'll buy maybe 25%, okay? So you'll be buying 25,000 pounds worth of that property. Now, in that situation, you're not still having to pay that full 25,000. You can get a deposit, you can get a mortgage on that. So instead of getting a mortgage down the full 25,000, you could say get a, a mortgage on 90% of that and you could then pay 10% of it. So you'd be paying say two and a half thousand on that 25,000 pound, uh, uh, 25, pound that you're owning. Okay, so it's not just buying a proportion of it, you're actually needing to pay a proportion of that smaller amount, okay? The, and by doing that, the amount of money you're putting in as a deposit, by being able to get onto that is way, way lower. On a 100,000 pound property, you're putting in two and a half thousand. Now, in reality, you probably actually couldn't do that example, and that's because it's a very, very small amount. Mortgage buyers don't like buy, uh, buying 
like giving you mortgages on a very small amount like that. So realistically, it'd be more like, say, if you wanted to buy a property that was, say, £400,000, you would buy 25%, 100000 and then you would, say, put in a deposit of, of 10000 against that 100 and the mortgage provider would give you the additional 90K, okay? So you've got a £90,000 debt with the lender, you've got £10,000 that you've put in yourself, and the other 300,000, the 75% that you don't own, the housing association owns that, okay? Brilliant. So what does that mean in practice? So you're doing the normal process like you would normally buy it. So there'll be a whole load of transaction fees. You'll have mortgage lending fees. You'll have your broker fees if you're using a broker. You'll have stamp duty on the amount you're purchasing. You'll have valuation fees, legal fees. There's a whole load of fees around purchasing property. And you do that if you bought the whole property and if you're buying a smaller amount. Now, on that amount that you don't own, you're paying rent, okay? Because you're effectively renting it off the housing association. On the amount that you do own, you'll pay service charge to the housing association to maintain that property, right? Because you're not owning the whole thing in freehold. So for example, let's say it was a flat in a block. You own that particular flat, but the building, okay, the roof, the external walls, the grounds around that property, you don't own, right? And that needs to be maintained to make sure it looks nice, to keep everybody happy within that block. Well, the management company, either the housing association itself or somebody that they've employed, needs to do that and you need to pay them for it plus there's a whole pro there's a whole management of facilitating a situation where you own a portion and they own a portion right there's a cost around doing that brilliant so that's how it would get set up and that's the situation you'd be in now if you were looking to then buy the full amount okay the way you do that is by something called staircasing. So you own 25% and you ideally want to get to 100%. Now you don't need to go to 100%, but that's the idea. So the, the process would be you would in stages buy further amounts of that property. So say you're at 25%, maybe you want to move to 50%, okay? Well, what would happen is say in two years time, you'd look at the situation and say, right, now I want to buy another 25% of this property. At that point, you'd get it valued. Now, one of these issues around this is that property prices tend to go up in value, not always, but they tend to go up in value. So if in two years time, that property has gone from 400,000 to say 440,000 pounds, okay? Then you would be paying 25% of the new value, not 400, but 440. So a year, two years ago, 25% was 100,000. Two years later, that 25% is now worth 110,000, a quarter of the 440 new price. So for you to buy that second 25% chunk, you're now having to pay more because the value's gone up. So what effectively means is when the price of your property goes up in value, you're only benefiting from the percentage that you own at that point in time. When you go to buy another chunk, you're then having to pay the higher amount. When you do that, there'll be a whole load of 
costs and time involved processes to be able to do that. You're going to have to get the property valued, probably going to have to get a new mortgage on that new amount. There'll be legal fees, there'll be fees around that. So you've got to bear that in mind. And you can't just do it when you want and however much you want. You can't just buy whatever share. There are certain restrictions around that. Usually the minimum percentage you can buy is 10%. And there could be certain restrictions about how often you can do it, frequency. So for example, a common one is you can buy further chunks of the property, but maybe a maximum of three times, okay? So when you're going into a shared ownership scheme, you want to understand those nuances because not all of them are the same, okay? Though there isn't just a standard template. There's certain things that genuinely exist, like I'm talking about, but each one will vary, okay? Now, you may be thinking, oh, you know, James, this sounds a bit hard work. There's a lot of kind of nuances, restrictions, rules. Yeah, you're right, there are. And that is one of the cons around this process, okay? If you're buying a certain share of a property and somebody else is going to own it, well, that organization that owns that other percentage wants to make sure they're not getting screwed over, right? They want to make sure you're managing that property, looking after it well. They want to make sure they're getting paid fairly for the percentages they own, that if you go to buy certain amounts and you're requiring certain things from them, that they're going to get paid for that, that that process is done well, fairly, legally regulated. So naturally, those processes are going to take time and they're going to cost money to do, right? You can't have other benefits and flexibility like this versus something else and not have an implication, right, through cost or time and effort. Right. So another question that people think about is, well, how do I sell this property? If I go in at 25% of the value of the property, well, then am I stuck owning this property until I own the full amount? Can I not ever sell it? Well, they are good questions. And those are the kind of questions you want to be thinking about before going into it. So if you haven't been asking yourself those kind of questions, you want to be starting to think about that. Whenever I buy something, when I, whenever I invest in something, I'm always thinking about exit strategy. What is, what's the outcome at the end of it, right? So when I go into something, what do I want from it? And then how, how do I get out of it in, um, at the end? Or how do I get out of it if what I was thinking was going to play out doesn't play out how I was expecting and now I want to move on to something else, right? So in that example, I'm having to put £25,000 in, I'm having to pay a whole load of transaction fees by doing it. Now I own this property, 25% of it. Okay, I've got a whole load of restrictions, requirements, rules around it. Well, what happens if my situation changes? What if I want to move to another country? What if I decide I want to live in another property? Well, I need to understand can I do that? What the implications are before I move into it? If I just move into it without thinking, then a few years down the line, I could be stuck thinking, now what? Okay, so this is always a good practice when you're doing something like this, and especially when you're buying something like a house or a property, which is a lot of money. Okay, so how does it work? <clears throat> if you own a portion of it, so less than 100%, then Effectively, what you do is, so you say you're in 25%, it's two years later and you say, you know what, I'm done with this, I want to sell it because I want to move on, I want to do something else, I want to buy another property, for example. Well, what you do is you advertise that property and you can sell it to somebody else. First thing is, 
if you earn say 25%, the person buying that property has to buy at least that percentage, okay? They could buy the full amount if they wanted to, but they have to buy at least the percentage that you own. They can't drop down. The second key thing is the housing association that owns the other portion has the right to find a buyer as well. So let's say you've got that property, it's 400 grand, right? It's worth 400 grand, or you believe it is. Let's say you're in a rush, you need to sell it, you wanna to move to say Thailand and follow your dream of traveling, and you wanna be shot of this property ASAP, and you don't mind taking a bit of a hit. So you say, look, I'll advertise it for 350 just to get rid of it. Well, if you do that, right, the housing association, you go, no, wait a second, I wanna be able to find a buyer myself, right? So because I don't think you're getting the right value from it. So they can kind of step in and say, you know what, I'm gonna take over this process and get the kind of value that I want from it, right? Or get the kind of buyer that I want to own it because I am gonna have a, a connection with that other party. I'm going to be owning a portion, they're gonna own it, so I wanna make sure that person who's buying it is the kind of person that I want to live in there and own it, okay? Next situation is if you own the full amount you think well i own the full amount so i can do what i want i can sell it to whoever i want well not so fast again housing association still has a connection with that property because they they own usually the block that it sits within they're managing that property or have a strong relationship with the company that is managing it they've employed them so again in that situation yes you can sell it but the housing association has the right not always but can have the right to buy back that property within 21 years. So again, each situation is different. They will have different nuances in that lease agreement that you're agreeing to, right, as buying that property. So, you know, if, for example, you want to sell it to your brother, right, in five years' time, or your son, then you may not be able to do that. The housing association may say, no, well, no, I'm going to buy that back from you at market value, and then I'm going to keep it or give it to somebody else. One of the reasons they do that is because they've got certain responsibilities or things they want to be doing with those properties. So they might have a set of people that they want to be giving shared ownership properties to, right? Because they're more affordable. If they've got a waiting list of those people and you go to sell it, they might want to buy that back off you to give it to somebody else, okay? So there are restrictions there. So just as you can sell it to somebody else, you can also buy it from someone. So generally speaking, when it was first set up, it was done on new properties. So it's very restrictive in terms of what properties you could buy. Now there's a secondary market out there because people can sell them. So let's say now you're wanting to buy your first property, you can't afford a, uh, that first property, so you wanna go out and use a shared ownership scheme. Well you can go and buy it off somebody else that already has a shared ownership scheme on their property. By doing that, that's pretty cool because not only are you having to just buy new properties, you can buy a second-hand property. Still fairly new because the scheme's not been around that long, but properties tend to be a bit cheaper when they aren't new, right? There's more available out there because you're getting that secondary market. But again, you need to buy at least the amount that they own at the moment you can't drop down to a lower amount okay so that is the practicalities the high level practicalities around what it is how it works you know the buying the selling and so on let's go into the fun stuff the enjoyable stuff 
What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages of going through this scheme? Well, let's start with the advantages, right? Because that's why we're thinking about this in the first place. The first one and the biggest one is it allows you to get onto the property market more quickly or in a situation where you wouldn't be able to do it without it. So a good example is in London. So when I bought my first property, I just simply couldn't buy a property where I wanted to buy because it was in London, the value of the prices were crazy, crazy high. So when I was doing that, the amount of income that I had couldn't justify the amount of mortgage I needed and the amount of money I had saved up couldn't justify the amount of deposit I needed. So I was stuck on both sides. I didn't have enough deposit and I didn't have enough income to support the mortgage. So a shared ownership scheme would have allowed me to buy a smaller percentage of that property, thereby reducing the amount of deposit I needed and the reducing the amount of mortgage I needed to support uh, to, uh, and the amount of income, therefore, I needed to support the mortgage I required. Just very quickly on mortgage. Let's say I wanted to buy a £400,000 property, okay? and I didn't use the shared ownership scheme, and I wanted to do a 10% deposit. I had the 40,000, I put in 40,000. The other 360,000 I'd be looking to get from a mortgage provider. Now, 10% deposits is pretty standard. It's, it's the most common minimum amount you need for a mortgage, 360 grand. So if you've got 40 grand on the face of it, plus all the transaction fees and so on, you are able to buy a 400 grand house. But the mortgage lender, will want to see a certain minimum level of income to support that mortgage. And usually how it works is it works off a multiple of your income. Now it varies lender to lender, but a standard maximum is five times your income. So for example, if you were earning say 30,000 pounds a year, 30,000 times five is 150,000. So on that example I just gave you, £360,000 mortgage. Well, £360,000 mortgage, £150,000 maximum, it's nowhere near each other, right? So if you're in that situation and you had £30,000 income and you were wanting to buy that property with a 10% deposit, you just can't do it. You don't have enough income to support it. And the reason you might scream and shout and say, that's not fair, but the mortgage lender do, does that to make sure you're financially in a situation to be able to cover the mortgage and they create a buffer to make sure that it's very unusual, very rare for you to be in a situation where you cannot be able to repay those mortgages. Mortgage lenders hate having to repossess a property and sell it. Yes, technically they can do it, and if they're giving, you know, making sure you're putting a deposit in, right, the value of those properties would have to drop by more than 10%, which, you know, is unlikely, very rarely happens, but mortgage lenders do not like doing that because it's a hassle, it's painful, they know by doing that to the person, it's completely ruining their situation. They're not in the business of selling properties, they hate it. So they would much rather not get into that situation in the first place and be very conservative. Okay, so bringing it back, by buying a shared ownership scheme, you reduce the amount you're having to put in, but also the amount of lending that you need based on your income. So that would have been a great situation for me. Now, I decided against it at the time because this was very early on in the process of shared ownership being around and therefore there wasn't many out there. They were all new builds. 
new builds are tend to be a bit more expensive than secondhand property because it's like buying a new shiny car right everything's new nice all kind of perfect so people are willing to pay a premium i didn't want to do that okay i wanted an investment property that would have a stronger return longer term so the way i decided to do it this is another top topic for another day was i bought the property with somebody else by doing that i was able to club my income and their income together thereby being able to get enough income to support the mortgage we needed okay but that is a really good example of why a shared ownership scheme is powerful okay you can reduce the amount of mortgage you need uh, and thereby income you need to support it and also savings that you need to contribute towards buying that property second reason it's low risk so if you feel property prices are going to go down in the future in the next few years right then because you're owning a smaller share of the property the implication of the value going down means that you're only going to be hit by a smaller share of that so i owned a four hundred thousand pound property and it dropped by say forty thousand to 360. i owned 25 percent the value of my share would only drop by 10,000 and not 40,000. But equally, it can go the other way. If it goes up in value, then you're not benefiting by the full amount. So you could buy a smaller share just to get on the ladder. And then when you think the value of property prices are going to go up, you know, as the situation changes, then you can start to put more value into the property and benefit from, the, from a bigger share as you believe the prices of properties tend to go up. Next positive is yes you might be able to actually buy your first property without shared ownership scheme but you can't buy the property that you want you might want to buy a nicer new shinier property a bigger property a property in an area that is better than you can afford right now you're effectively being able to buy a property that's higher value than you could outside of it okay definitely uh, a positive by using a scheme but be careful because are you using the shared ownership scheme to stretch beyond your means? Get in a situation where you're paying rent on the portion you don't own, you're paying higher mortgage prices, right? Just be able to have a great property. Now, don't get me wrong, everybody has got their priorities and if that's your priority, great, pursue that. But if you're looking to develop a strong financial future, get the best returns from your money, then I would caution you about that and better spend that money and focus looking into other areas to build a stronger financial future, okay? A little quirk around this is when you buy, say, a percentage, say you put buy the 25% of the 400,000, yes, you've got to pay rent on the other 75%, but because the government has set this up in a way where it's to encourage people to get on the ladder, right? It's not financially penalizing you. The rent that you typically pay on the portion you don't own is pretty cheap. And actually from the ones that I've looked at seem to be below market value, okay? So not only are you getting into a situation where you don't have to pay that much in, but the rent you're paying is very low. Now, I'm not saying this is always the case. You always wanna check how much rent you'd pay and how that compares to if you you know, rented in a similar area to, to where you're living now. 
but it does seem that that rent you're paying is very low, okay? So it's not like you're being hurt from a rental perspective on the portion you don't earn, okay? But again, definitely you wanna check that out. Now, lastly, the last point I'll cover off is you can get there quicker. So yes, you know, you could buy it, but say in two or three years, but if you went on the shared ownership scheme, you can get right in now, you've got a small amount to put in a small deposit, your income supports that small amount of mortgage you need, you're back in on 25%. Then what you can do is, as you earn more savings, okay, you build up your savings pot, and maybe earn more income, you know, as you move through your career, what you can do is, in chunks, you can then go and pay more money to a housing association, either as savings, as a deposit, or by getting a bigger mortgage, right, as your income expands, to be able to slowly buy the full, uh, the full share of the property. So you get on quicker and then be able to buy the full amount. Or, for example, you might buy a certain percentage and then be able to move out of it and then go in and buy, you know, the full value of another property. There's a flexibility there, right, with the shared ownership scheme. But be mindful. Every time you buy a bigger percentage or you sell it to move into another property, there are a whole load of fees around doing that. Transaction fees, stamp duty, uh, if, you're, if you're selling property to buy another one, but legal fees, broker fees, mortgage fees, right? Maybe fees to the housing association, all to buy that bigger share, right? So yes, you can do it in piecemeal, that's great, but there's costs around that and there's time, there's effort, right? It's hassle in doing that. You've got to get it valued, so you've got to pay money towards that. So that's another one of the disadvantages. So let's move on to the disadvantages now. Now, I've covered off a few already in response to advantages and littered it through my explanation of what the shared ownership scheme, but let's look at if there's anything else. So, firstly, it can be a more expensive property. Either one, because you're buying a new build, and new builds are just generally more expensive, not always, but generally are, because it's a nice, new, shiny property or just because it's more accessible. If you're buying a shared ownership property, people can buy that property that wouldn't normally be able to buy a normal property. So the pool of people available to buy that is wider, therefore you've got more demand, therefore you've got a higher price, generally, okay? More competition, therefore, could push the price up higher. So we just wanna be careful. As a result of that, when you get into those situations, there's a high risk that at least initially in the first few years, either because the market drops and those can be the kind of properties to drop more than others at the beginning, or just simply because you're going from a new property to not new, that could drop the value of the price of the property. That could get you into what we call negative equity. Effectively means you've bought in at a price and it's gone down, right? So your deposit, so let's take the example, 25% of 400 grand. You own 100,000 pounds worth and you put in a deposit of 10,000. If the value drops by 10%, it's gone from 400K to 360, okay? You've got a 90,000 pound mortgage at 10,000 pounds deposit. It's dropped by 40,000. Well, 10,000 pounds of that drop would be your portion. So yes, you put in a deposit of zero of 10,000, but actually it's gone down by 10%. So your equity has actually gone to zero. And if it drops further, you get into negative equity. If you sold that property, you actually have to pay money 
to sell that property because the value that you earn, the money that's in there is less than the amount of money that you own on it. So you've got to be careful there. Now, if you're buying for the long run, then that generally means that that's a lot safer because you're going beyond a long enough period to allow the price of those properties to go up in the future. Okay, next point, there's less mortgage availability because it's a bit more complicated. You know, they've got to offer a smaller amount. They've got to understand what the shared ownership scheme is, work with the housing association, more risk, more complexity. Generally speaking, just not as many mortgages out there. You're probably gonna to have to pay a slightly higher fee for it because it's more nuanced, right? So less mortgage availability and perhaps higher costs around getting one on it. Next one is around it being leasehold. So you're not gonna own the whole amount like a freehold. You're gonna have an agreement with the housing association where you have to agree to certain rules. That comes with implications. So for example, maybe you want to knock a wall down and move the, connect the kitchen to the living room, might make it open plan. Well, if you've got a lease agreement, you've got to get permission on the housing association to do that. They probably won't agree to it. They might do, they probably won't because they own a portion and they don't want you messing about with it, right? You know, it's dangerous. They're gonna make sure you do a good job. It's all a bit messy. They probably just say no to make it easier. And even if you, they did say yes, you'd have to go through a long process to be able to get permission. Next one, service charge. Because they're managing that property, they're managing the block, say within it, the grounds around it, managing just the process of being there and owning a portion, you're gonna to have to pay a service charge every year, every month, whatever it is, to be able to be in that situation. Right? So you've got to factor that into your costs. And then lastly, the right to buy or sell of the housing association in itself, whether you own a portion or the full amount. They have certain rights there, right? And you need to bear that in mind based on what you're looking to do in the future, okay? If you're looking to sell quickly, but they want to be able to make sure they're getting a better price, you know, that's going to hold you back, okay? So you always want to check those things as well. Next one, subletting. Let's say you buy the property and you want to, you know, in two years, rent it out to somebody else because you want to move country and make some money off it, right? Most of the case, subletting is not allowed. Now, you might, you know, take a risk and do it anyway, you know, and they won't know. But what if they find out? What if they force you to sell? What if they charge you penalties for it, right? A bit dangerous by doing that. And also, you know, that might hurt your situation, getting mortgages in the future, buying properties in the future, right? So you gotta be very careful with those things. So that can be a big, big restriction for you if that's what you're looking to do. Next, transaction fees. Like I said, when you buy a property, you've gotta pay a whole load of transaction fees. Every time you staircase up, whole load of transaction fees. So those costs can add up, especially if you look to staircase up in many, many increments, rather than just one or two. And then lastly, rent the portion you don't own you've got to pay rent on that's another expense you want to factor that into your cash flow whenever you look to buy a property or any investment you always want to think if i buy this property what are all the income that i'm going to get say each month and what are all the outgoings you always want to look at that just to see what the impact is on your cash flow but just generally is it positive is it negative is it good number is it not a good number and there's no difference here so when you're looking at appraising that with, say, shared ownership property, thinking about rent, you're thinking about the mortgage, thinking about the service charge, you're thinking about the opportunity cost of you not paying the rent or mortgage of the property that you're living in at the moment. Factor that all in. And lastly, 
very, very rare, but just a point to make. If you don't pay that rent, you get into arrears, right? Because you can't afford to, or you're just being negligent. They have the ability often to actually take that property from you if you don't pay that rent, okay? Now, that shouldn't happen because you should actually pay that rent. And if you work with them, I'm sure they can set up a situation. They don't want to do that. But technically, they could take that property from you if you're not paying that rent. And if you've already owned a certain percentage and you've got a certain value, they could actually just forfeit that and just take that property back, right? Because you're not honoring your side of the bargain. So again, you know, there's a lot of restrictions there. Now, lastly, before I finish, I'm going to give you my overall perspective on this, overall view of the shared ownership scheme. Should you it? Should you not? Should you run a mile? Or should you absolutely jump straight into this and, and, and get on the property ladder through the shared ownership scheme? Well, personally, I think if you're in a situation right now where you want to get on the property ladder, right, either from an investment point of view, kind of longer term, or you just want to own your own home, and you literally cannot do it without the shared ownership scheme, or it's gonna be much quicker to do. Say, you know, you gotta wait three, four years to save up the kind of amount of money that you need to be able to buy a property. A shared ownership scheme can be an awesome way to just get going, okay? I think it is really, really good for that person, that situation. But if you're not in that situation and you just wanna do it anyway to buy a bigger house, or just because you then don't have to put as much money in and use that money elsewhere, for example. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea because every time you're putting in a portion, you've got a whole load of fees, there's a whole load of rules, regulations, requirements, right? You're very restricted in terms of the property that you can buy, the people you can sell it to. There's a whole load of hassle, cost, money, time around doing it. So. If you don't need it, run a mile, go buy a property that you actually want in an area you want to buy on your terms. You've not got all those restrictions, okay? But guys, that's just my view based on high level. I don't know your situation. I don't know all the little nuances, all right? So it's not specific advice for you. I've given you all the facts laid out, pros, cons, the high level perspective, the logistics and so on around using this scheme. Absorb that, have a think and think, Based on all of that, is this something I want to do or not? When you made that mind up, guys, let me know in the comment section. DM me. I'm more than happy to hear that. Get your perspective on it. If you've got questions, further thoughts, let me know. More than happy to uh, come back to you with further videos or just commentary around those thoughts. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed this video as much as I've uh, done making it. I will see you next week for next week's show. Bye-bye.